2: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer on FM 1017 and
0: 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's going on? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer and another fun show coming up today. Uh, for this Wednesday. It's a beautiful day outside. Still working on that patent to uh, try to build a, a studio that can roll out uh, into the sunshine to enjoy days like this, but it'll be a fun show regardless. Coming up uh, this hour, we're going to get to uh, our Pearson Inclusion KU Hit of the Week coming up later on in the hour. Henry Greenstein will join the show at 3.40 from the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. Coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, we'll get to our KU Mailbag. You still have time to submit questions into to our social media page on Twitter slash X at RCST1320. You can also hit up RCST1320AM at gmail.com. We also have a text line. If you want to just text in a question for the mailbag, you can do that as well. at 785-843-1321 if you want to send in a uh, text message to uh, the K-Mailbag. So still have time to submit a question there. That's coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. K-Women's basketball is a big game tonight against Baylor talk a little bit about that in the 4 o'clock hour. Shreya Salata of the Kansas City Star will join the show at 4.40. And in the 5 o'clock hour, a little bit of a deep dive into KU football's latest offensive line coach, Hire, to replace uh, Scott Fuchs and more uh, football talk as well in the 5 o'clock hour. As always, RCST is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, and it is a loaded show today, really, on this Wednesday as uh, we get through this week here on the show. Off the top here, a couple things that I wanted to get to real quick. I have a couple uh, fun with numbers that we'll get to with KU basketball, but off the top, couple things. Uh, one thing that I didn't get to yesterday is Bill Self, after he got ejected against Texas Tech, talked about the magic word that he used. Ah, magic word. What's the magic word? Well, he was actually on uh, Jim Rome yesterday and revealed what the magic word was. We know what the magic word was. Magic word, it's a four-letter word, starting with the letter J, the J word. That's right. Joke. <laughs> and uh, he didn't specifically reveal in this context the how joke was used, because I think this, there's an interesting question here. If an official makes a call, and you say, and you're Bill Self, and you say, that's a joke, I feel like that shouldn't get you tossed. But... If you if he makes the call and you say you are a joke specifically to the official, okay, I kind of understand a little bit. I think regardless, it's still in Bill Self's own words, kind of soft, uh, really. But it was joke. It was joke. Official didn't like being. Uh, official didn't like either being specifically called a joke or <laughs> saying that the uh, the foul or lack thereof on that particular play, was uh, was a joke. So, I don't know. There you go. That's a four-letter word. So, I don't know. We'll see if we'll have to pay attention to see if Bill Self keeps using that word or if he just recognizes, no, 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 magic word. Can't say that. Can't say that. I also wanted to mention some quick Royals news here off the top for the uh, Kansas City Royals. A couple things. Number one, earlier today they announced a uh, partnership with Quick Trip, and a Quick Trip is going to be uh, uh, on the jerseys for the Royals. And if you saw the pictures, or if you look at the pictures on social media, the Quick Trip, I guess, patch for lack of a better term or logo on the sleeve—it's on the sleeve. It's—I find it to be a little bit obnoxiously large. That's just my opinion, but uh, it seems—it seems a little a little too big for my pleasure. So we'll see what it actually looks like on the jerseys. But they tweeted that out, and then the other uh, big news—or I guess not big news—but some news from the Royals relating to the Royals is that. Uh, Eric Hosmer also announced his retirement today. Of course, uh, Royals legend helping Kansas City win that World Series in 2015. And if you look at some of the key players of that 2015 Royals team, now Aaron Gordon or Alex Gordon, pardon me, Alex Gordon and Lorenzo Cain both retired. Now add Eric Hosmer to that. Mustakas is, I I think, maybe trying to make a trying to make an opening day roster. Uh, Escobar can't. And uh, Ned obviously has has retired as well, so it's really Salvador Perez from the lat in terms of the major core of that championship run. He's really the last one left for the Royals. So I wanted to make note of that. Uh, Also, last (coughs) excuse me, last night there was uh, also uh, another big result in the world of college basketball: UConn. UConn goes to Creighton and loses by nearly 20. They actually made a push. They got it down uh, and near to 10 single digits pretty late in the game after they were down big earlier in the game. But Creighton uh, re- kind of regained composure and fought back and won that game by 1985-66. So now you have two number one teams losing the last basically, what, three days with uh, Purdue losing on Sunday. And then UConn going down. And Houston plays at Baylor on Saturday. So if they win that, they'll they would for sure become the new number 1 team. I guess if they lose, I don't know, we'll see. And of course that's significant because you look at Houston's schedule, they could stay number 1 really until potentially they play Kansas, which would be pretty interesting. So, all right, let's dive into a little bit of uh, some some numbers here from KU basketball that uh, I wanted to get to. You know, I was I was curious especially watching the first half of that game against Oklahoma about KU's free throw shooting and where the, how they've been doing in terms of not just necessarily percentage, but also in terms of how often are they getting to the line, how often are they shooting free throws. And the numbers are not particularly great for KU in terms of that area. They are 241st in the country, tied for 241st in the country in free-throw attempts per game at 18. So just under 18, about 17.9. 467 free-throw attempts in 26 games so far for KU, which comes out to, uh, like I said, just under 18 per game, which, by the way, uh, the team that is number one in the country in free-throw attempts per game is actually Winthrop, sitting at 27.1 free-throw attempts per game. You got a bunch of teams in the low 20s, like a lot of teams in the low 20s, really. And then you get to Kansas, who is at, as I said, 241 in the country. So, you know, you're in the bottom third, really, of the country. Basically, in that in that stat, sitting at 241 at just under 18 per game. Kansas, on the season... Is shooting 73% from the free throw line as a team, which that is just, uh, it's above average, a little bit above average. That's 128th in the country in free throw percentage, which if there's, you know, 363 teams or whatever, basically right at average of being the 160 range or one, no, that's not right, 180 range. So they're above average at 73%. In conference only play, that number drops to 72%, which is which by the way in conference only play, they're at exactly a seventh in the conference in terms of free throw percentage. So, you know, not getting to the line really that much compared to other teams in the country, but what I was really curious about with this numbers, with these numbers I kind of wanted to hone in on a couple of specific players here. And I think Hunter Dickinson is a good place to start. So Hunter Dickinson in 34 games last season in the 2022-23 season with Michigan, he attempted 161 free throws, 34 games, about 4.7, 4.8 free throws per game in In his previous season at Michigan, in 2021-22, he was at 3.6 free throws per game. Uh, In 32 games that season, he attempted 116. But here's where the numbers become a little bit eyebrow-raising. So far this season for Kansas, Hunter Dickinson has attempted 74 free throws in 26 games which is all that, which his that brings his uh, free throw per game number down to 2.85. So he is almost two full free throws lower attempted per game this season than he was last season at Michigan. And when you think about that, I have two primary thoughts. My first thought on that is okay. Well, I don't think Hunter Dickinson has drastically changed his game really in terms of his post play. Like he's still he's the same player. He, he you know he's playing the same way I think in a lot of ways. In terms of he is you know getting to the post, you know banging with the guy in the post and and trying to score from down low. I mean that's where a lot of his scoring comes from, obviously. So he's so I, I, it's not like his it's not like he suddenly is. Not doing that, right? Like it's not like he's just completely changed, uh, sort of how he's how he's played up to this point, because I mean, if you want to say, well, you know, is he shooting more threes? No, he's not. He's at 54 threes right now this season, in 26 games, which is exactly two per game. And last season, I think his he's he was shooting 1.7 threes per game. I think in the in the game, maybe a little bit lower than that. So it's not like he's suddenly not trying to score in the post. And I mean if you're if you're if you've watched KU this season, you've seen KU gets him the ball in the post quite a bit. So that's so I think then that leads into the second point here, which is I think these numbers are act are more indicative of officiating in the Big Twelve than anything. Uh, you know, the Big Twelve is widely recognized as the most physical league in the country. I think I think Basically, any, anybody who watches college basketball would probably accept that to be the case, that the big 12 is the most physical league in the country. And I think that has clearly negatively impacted Hunter Dickinson in some areas. And to go back to to, to the top of the show here with the joke discussion with Bill Self talking about that, you know I'm, I'm sure Bill Self is aware of that too, that you know Hunter Dickinson is getting Hunter Dickinson is probably getting fouled. A significant majority of the time that he's getting the ball in the post, either as he's going up or you know we've seen teams double team him quite a bit, so he's probably dealing with a much more high, a significantly higher level of physicality than he has been in than he had dealt with in the Big Ten, and on top of that, so the physicality is way higher, so which can be more physically draining, obviously. And Hunter Dickinson has talked about you know some of that he's been pushing through different things, and you know we know about the knee injury he had. So not only is it significantly more physical, which is significantly more demanding on Hunter Dickinson physically as well, he's actually getting, instead of getting rewarded with more trips to the free throw line, he's actually getting less trips to the free throw line, significantly less trips to the free throw line this season. So it's kind of a double whammy on the effectiveness of of Hunter Dickinson is, is is the officiating of of the big 12, I think, or just kind of how the, how the big 12 plays maybe compared to other conferences. Now, you know, I don't, I don't watch the ins and outs of the Big Ten or the the you know the Big East or the SEC. So I'm, I'm, I have no question that those are still there's there's still physical physicality involved. But you can't sit there and tell me that you know, f- for instance, from watching the Iowa State Houston game on Monday night, you can't sit there and say that there's that level of physicality on a nightly basis in probably any other any of the any other of the Power Six conferences. And I think that's you know. That was a bit of an extreme, I think, that Houston-Iowa State game, but not, not that much of an extreme. I mean, you see that level of physicality in the Big 12 basically on a nightly basis. And, you know, you go back to, you think back to, like, the Bob Huggins, West Virginia, Press Virginia days where they would foul every single time you got the ball and basically dare the officials to call a foul every time. And guess what? Eventually, the officials will swallow their whistle. And then you've established a baseline of okay, well we can do this. We can value every time, and it's not going to get called. What to what extent can we do that to where then all of a sudden it is going to get called? So, so again, I I think that's I really started to think about this, and I just think that's probably negatively affected Hunter Dickinson in a lot of ways. Certainly, it's negatively affected his his scoring prowess in the paint. I, and I know you know fans will want to get on him a lot for maybe missing some easier shots in the paint well you know if if you're getting fouled more that makes sense but if they're not it's again you're getting fouled more but the fouls aren't getting called so you're not actually getting rewarded by heading to the line so I think that's probably hampered Hunter's effectiveness and I'm curious to see how this continues throughout the rest of the season because I'm curious let's say KU gets the NCAA tournament and there's different officials, and maybe that changes, right? Maybe that maybe it changes in the NCAA tournament. I don't know, but I think it's interesting the fact that you have a guy who is significantly less lower on his free throw attempts per game than what he's had in previous years in the Big Ten. And again, I don't think this is uh, this is not a situation where Hunter Dickinson is drastically changing the way he plays, right? I mean, he's he's playing, I think, a lot in a lot of the same ways. So. Uh, beyond that. So beyond Hunter Dickinson, Kevin McCuller on the flip side for Kansas, he has attempted 140 free throws this season, and that that accounts for 30 percent of Ku's total free throw attempts coming from from Kevin McCuller. Now, I think this does make sense a little bit because Ku, especially in big games, and especially in uh, even even more so in conference play, they're playing six, seven guys. So I think it makes sense that you would have your starters be. Major contributors in terms of the free throw shooting, but thirty percent even still, uh, I think is 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 pretty high. You look at his free throw percentage on the year; he's at eighty percent, eighty percent, which is which is really uh, pretty good. And obviously, he's a guy that he's one of the the players for Ku that can get that can drive and draw contact, right? You know, that's not really necessarily with DeWan when he's looking to drive. He's, uh, he's oftentimes looking more for a pass or things like that. But So in terms of players that can just take the ball off the bounce and go and drive and try to draw contact and get a foul, McCullough's really the only guy that does that, so it does make sense. And that, of course, got me thinking about the games in which Kevin McCuller has missed what's been KU's free-throw shooting been like in those games. Well, you go back to the Oklahoma State game in Allen, in which Kansas won by 30, won by 29. KU only shot nine free throws in that game, uh, actually. So, you know, obviously half of what they've been averaging on the season, really. You look at the uh, Baylor game that they played against uh, Baylor. KU was 11-15 of from the line. So, again, still slightly under. You go to the Texas Tech game. Kansas actually shot 17 free throws in that game in Lubbock compared to 22 for Texas Tech. And then in the Oklahoma game on Saturday, Kansas shoots 18 now, all 18 of them come in the second half. But that's basically right on their season average, essentially, uh, for the free throws. Uh, KJ Adams is actually second on the team in, in total free throw attempts. He's at 93 attempts, but only at 60% from the line, which is actually better than what he's been in the past. But, uh, you know, he's been, he, again, another player that gets inside. But that's so interesting. I think it's it's very interesting to me that, you know, K.J. Adams is a very, very physical player. He is a physical specimen. You look at him, he's just, you know, he's pure muscle. He's He is, uh, you know, just a beast down low. And yet it seems as though he is able to routinely draw fouls and get to the line versus Hunter Dickinson. And obviously then it, I think that kind of comes back to a size thing, right? K.J. at 6'7", Hunter Dickinson at seven, one, But that's a bit... Uh, curious as well, so I, I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see how the how these numbers continue to shake out for Ku down over the, this last uh, couple games of the season and then into, into postseason as well. You know, you would think for you would think for a team that does not shoot a lot of threes, in fact, is one of the lowest teams in the country in terms of three point attempts. You would think that would mean that they would play in the post and get shots, you know, at the rim, which they do. They do get a lot of those shots, and. I think it's. I think it would be reasonable to extrapolate out. Okay, well, if you're getting a lot of shots at the rim and you're getting a lot of shots in the post, that would lead you to shoot more free throws. <clears throat> Wrong. Not in the Big Twelve, at least. <laughs> Not in the Big Twelve, at least. Right. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that. Uh, we'll see how that continues to play out. But I thought that was interesting. Really got me thinking in the first half. After KU shot zero free throws in the first half against Oklahoma, again they end up shooting 18, which is right on their season average. But that Hunter Dickinson stuff, I think, uh, I find really fascinating in terms of maybe uh, ways in which his game is negatively affected a little bit that maybe you don't necessarily always consider or think about when uh, you consider the type of player that he is and what he should be what what you think he should be probably be getting in terms of the number of touches he gets in the post and how frequently he's actually heading to the line getting fouled when he's when he's in the post because it's significantly lower this season than it has been in previous seasons so all right Henry Greenstein's going to join the show in about 15 minutes here on Rock Talk Sports Talk Coming up at the 4 o'clock hour, we get to our KU mailbag. You still have time to submit questions on Twitter or X at uh, RCSD1320. You can also hit us up on our text line if you want to just text in a question to the show. If you're listening, 758 1321 Shoot a text over with a question for the KU mailbag. Shrey Salata is going to join the show in the at 4.40, also in the 4 o'clock hour. And I got some KU football talk in the 5 o'clock hours with KU's new offensive line coach. Want to take a little bit of a deeper dive into that. That's all coming up and more here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Half past three here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 101.7 and 1320 KLWN. Don't forget tonight after the show, KU Women's Basketball will be on our airwaves at 6.45 pregame for a 7 o'clock tip as they take on Baylor. We'll preview that game a little bit more coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Uh, Henry Greenside of the Lawrence Turner World and KUSports.com is going to join the show in about 10 minutes from right now. Uh, Shreya Salada will join the show from the Kansas City Star coming up at 4.40 as well. Right now it's time to get to our Pearson Collision Hit of the Week brought to you by Pearson Collision. Just like you, Pearson Collision loves to celebrate a great hit in KU football or KU basketball, but in your car, not so much. Quality work, every job, Pearson Collision in Lawrence. A couple couple different options here for Kansas from that uh, Oklahoma game on Saturday. Uh, KJ Adams had that big breakaway dunk where he kind of looks around and then gets basically his whole chin above the rim. It was kind of awesome, actually. Uh, the dunk that he had. Uh, Johnny Furphy also had a dunk in transition in the second half as well in which uh, it was a great pass from Dewan Harris on a trailer. It was a two-on-one with him and Kevin McCuller, and then he finds Furphy coming late for a dunk. that was a pretty good option. Uh, Kevin McCuller hitting the three to give Kansas the lead with about nine minutes left in the game uh, when it was tied at 46, and he steps back and hits a big three uh, for... KU to give them the lead permanently, and they get the win, uh, and then or you know you have Jamari McDowell hitting Hunter Dickinson with a pass to score near the end of the first half that helped KU kind of cut that lead down and get it and get back into the game late in the first half. So it, it was uh, 34 to 27 uh, when Jamari McDowell made a nice little pocket pass to Hunter Dickinson for an easy two to make it 34-29, which that was the halftime score. Uh, so I don't know. Those are the three options. Uh, I'm tempted to go with either the KJ Adams dunk or Kevin McCuller for the three for the lead, because uh, that was a big shot. Obviously, and Kevin McCuller didn't really shoot the ball particularly well, but when they he stepped up when they needed the most. Which uh, I'm kind of I'm getting back into the camp of he could be that clutch guy for Kansas down the stretch, assuming he's able to get close to 100, percent which I guess maybe doesn't sound like it's totally possible at this point, but so. Uh, yeah, you know what? Let's give it to Kevin McCuller. Kevin McCuller hits a three. It was tied at 46. Kevin McCuller gets a pass from KJ Adams, hits a three to give Kansas the lead, and they would go on to win the game against Oklahoma. So Kevin McCuller with the three against Oklahoma. He goes up on our basketball leaderboard. Our basketball leaderboard looks like this now. KJ Adams with three, and Kevin McCuller, by putting him on there with that three hit against Oklahoma, that gives him three total appearances. As well on our hit of the week. So he's now tied with KJ Adams for first. And Marco Jackson has one. Nick Timberlake has one. Ernest Uday has one for elbowing Hunter Dickinson. Wilder Evers has one. And Johnny Furphy has one as well. That's our K basketball hit of the week brought to you by Pearson Collision. That's our basketball leaderboard. Pearson Collision knows accidents happen, they understand the stress and pressure. Pearson embodies trusted experience, meticulous repair, and they work with your insurance. Pearson Collision, 7th 7th Connecticut in Lawrence. And Pearson Collision is always looking to add to the team of artists. A rewarding career with awesome pay, awesome pay, paid holidays and weekends off. Pearson Collision Repair strives to hire only the best, and they want you to apply. If you're committed to excellence, want career growth, and want career growth, Come join the award-winning team at Pearson Collision Repair. You can go to the Pearson Collision Repair page on Facebook and apply. All right, that's our KU Basketball Hit of the Week by Pearson Collision. Henry Ginstein is going to join the show next on the other side. KU mailbag coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. We'll get to some KU basketball, KU women's basketball talk as well as they're taking on Baylor tonight with a tip-off at 7 o'clock. You can hear that game right here on KLWN. Trey of will join the show at 4.40 as well later on. We'll take we'll take a time out. Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World joins the show next. You're listening to Rock Talk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Talk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, and right now we are joined by Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. Henry, Kansas gets a big win on Saturday in Norman against Oklahoma. Uh, I'm just going to start with this. You know, It's only their second conference win on the road so far this season, and it came in a game where they kind of had to fight back. I guess for you, for this game for Kansas, maybe just how important was it maybe for the team just internally to know, hey, we can come through and, and win a game on the road. We can win away from Allen Fieldhouse.
1: Yeah. I mean, it'll do wonders for their confidence. Uh, as Hunter Dickinson said post game, it kind of felt like everyone was waiting on them to finally get over the hump. And, um, in particular, I think it showed their ability to tighten up on defense, uh, in a way they really haven't in any other road game, which was particularly impressive, uh, given that they had to sort of redraw their entire ball screen defensive scheme at halftime. And it it works to perfection. I mean, much like we often say, you know, uh, when they give up all these threes, how much of is it, how much of it is luck and how much of it is a deficiency on their end? We do have to ask, with Oklahoma shooting so poorly in the second half, how much of that is KU's defense and how much of it is just regression on Oklahoma's part. But even so, I think it was an extremely encouraging result for KU in a lot of ways, especially with the other road games they have ahead in the weeks to come.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting with the discussion about the defense because Bill Self talked about how without Kevin McCullough, KU Pott doesn't win the game. And I think really from the defensive side is where you see that mostly because he, he was not really very efficient on offense. But I just wonder if if Kevin McCuller was maybe not able to play for whatever reason or couldn't go in the second half, if KU would have been able to have the confidence, the coaching staff to make those adjustments if they had to rely on Nick Timberlake or a Marco Jackson versus having Kevin McCuller.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't really think so. Maybe, maybe if, if Jackson was playing as defensive minutes because he, he's shown a lot of moments of being a good defender. But. Yeah, neither he nor Timberlake has really has shown the ability to avoid mental mistakes. And, you know, when you're changing to a, a whole system, you haven't practiced at all and something you had to pick up on the fly. I'm not totally sure either one of those guys would have been able to, I don't know, make the necessary closeouts or avoid leaving people wide open like basically everyone on KU did in the first half. And um, I mean, I, I wouldn't count out the possibility entirely, but yeah, I think McColler was invaluable in that respect. And I think that in the next two games, uh, his presence will be similarly important, assuming he's able to go.
0: So, yeah, back in the fall, we had the worry scale with Jalen Daniels. Then it was kind of worry scale with Nick Timberlake. How about the worry scale for for Kevin McColler right now? Bill Self goes on Hawk Talk on, on Monday and says that this could be an injury that McCullough is going to deal with for the rest of the season. I, I guess what, what's your worry level right now for McCuller, uh heading down the stretch here?
1: I I was very concerned from a KE perspective to hear that remark because Kevin has not played well when he's been playing hurt. I mean, his shooting percentage has has gone down the drain. Basically, since the Cincinnati game, which was the one after which Self first said he was dealing with the knee bruise, I'm pretty sure he's shooting in like the mid-30s or high 30s from the field, which is just so much worse than he was doing beforehand. The one exception, of course, is the Houston game where he went seven for eight, but that's looking a lot more like the exception rather than the rule, and that also came after a full week of rest. So, with the full week of rest thing, you think, all right, maybe he'll be in good shape for Texas. But then, of course, he did. He apparently retweaked it. I don't know exactly what that means when it's a bone bruise. I'm starting to think maybe my understanding of bone bruises as a whole was rather deficient. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I don't. I would say my worry scale is definitely above the sort of neutral level I was at before, because I mean, if they're going to get Kevin McCullough shooting like six of seventeen for the rest of the season, that doesn't fill me with excitement for their offensive prospects.
0: Yeah, and I think to your point, the biggest concern for me is you know you go back to the fr- uh, Saturday Monday sequence from Houston to the K State, and Kevin McCullar had you know played both those games and played quite a bit, but what kind of the drawback of that was that then he was unable to play in their next two games the following week right and when you think about this week being sort of the last week where they're only gonna have one game in a week and you think about the NCAA tournament you're gonna have to be playing you know two games in three days basically or four days uh, that that does concern me certainly I think from that point if, if it's a situation where you can go all out with Kevin for a game or two but then that's gonna basically limit him or possibly t- take him out of the equation entirely for the next game after that right.
1: Yeah, that's a really difficult equation to contend with. I mean, you know, I'm not in the building. I don't exactly know what this has been like for him on a on a, on a daily basis. Um, but certainly, at this level of uncertainty doesn't really do a great a great job for for just like sort of knowing what they have in their arsenal going into any given game. And like I alluded to, each of the next two opponents are going to really test KU on the perimeter. Um, and you know, just watching BYU yesterday as well. I know that's skipping ahead a little bit but they have like five guys who can shoot threes in at basically all times and it, it's concerning to me what that could look like for KU if you have like both El Marco and Nick playing at a given moment or so I don't know so uh yeah and obviously in the tournament the, I'm just, it's the likelihood of facing a volume three-point shooting team goes up significantly um and, yeah, I, I think that if, if Kevin is hampered or is unavailable to play, that could uh, really throw a wrench into KU's perimeter defense.
0: Going back to the fact that Kevin's been banged up, Hunter Dickinson talked about how he's been dealing with injuries, plural. It seems like this, this sort of week-long break for Kansas has kind of come at the right time. How, how important do you think it was for KU to get sort of to this moment, get the win against Oklahoma, and then have this break that they have right now?
1: Well, I think it was exceptionally important, not only just from the mental aspect we talked about earlier, but, you know, I, McCuller is one thing, but it seems like, you know, Dickinson said he's been feeling the best he has in two months, which is uh, just great to hear from that perspective. And DeWan Harris looks to be working his way back after the ankle thing. He, he looked really good against Oklahoma, in my opinion. Um, and, I mean, if you've got those two guys, that can be the foundation of a great offense in and of itself and certainly provide some confidence that regardless of McCuller's situation, Ah, uh, will still be able to function. now, i I think that Hunter can still do a better job than he is in terms of making some of those shots in the low post. You know, Bill himself has talked about wanting him to catch the ball even deeper, and I think that would do him a lot of favors if K. is able to scheme up a way to get in those deeper paint touches, especially uh, against some of these teams coming up where they might not have the most like athletic or, or well, maybe not athletic, but the most like physically defensive uh, centers. I think, that could do wonders, and that could kind of set a trend for Hunter heading into the Big 12 tournament and the NCAA tournament.
0: I think it's interesting. You know, Lance Leipold has talked about how he likes to have the buys later on in the season. Uh, do, do you wonder if Bill Selbane feels the same way, or maybe he feels like, hey, this one worked out in a good spot, right, this quote-unquote buy, I guess, where you have a week off?
1: I mean, judging from what he said in Hawk Talk, it sounds like he's perfectly content with this positioning, you know. I I do feel like Self has been talking about KU being a tired team for the last couple months or so. So I do feel like wherever it took place, we all, and by we all, I mean, you know, the KU media and the public and and KU personnel would have found a way to spin it as good timing. Um, But certainly with the way things have started to pile up with with Kevin and DeJuan uh, in particular, and and even Hunter apparently, uh, this seems like an opportune moment.
0: I also thought Bill Self's comments regarding Dewan Harris were interesting post-game, basically saying he needs to stop listening to everybody, and he almost made it seem like he needs to stop listening to everybody, including Bill Self himself. Uh, do, do you get the sense that things are maybe starting to click more for Dewan here, you know, a seven-assist-zero turnover game against Oklahoma? Do, do you get the sense maybe that he's starting to to find his rhythm again here down the stretch?
1: I do. And it's not always the flashiest style of play, but I think, you know, ever since around the time that that first said those comments about DeWan and that was in Warren, so I don't remember what game it was after, but I must say it was about a month ago. You know, ever since then, he's really started to turn things uh, in the right direction. I don't think Texas Tech was his greatest performance by any means, but I think you can kind of write that game off for just about anyone who participated in it outside of uh, Nick Timberlake and Johnny Murphy. But other than that, you know, DeWan seems to be in command much better. He's, he's his shot selection is a little strange, but he knows what he can make. And that's sort of what self is saying. Like he knows how to win. Um, I, I think one area in which his shots welcome has improved is taking more of those threes. When teams go under screens, he doesn't hesitate as much as he once did in those scenarios. Uh, he fires away when the opportunity presents itself. And even if he doesn't always make them, it forces teams to defend screens differently and maybe gives more space to Hunter. So, um, it's encouraging to see what he's done in that respect. Um, and, yeah, the lack of turnovers has obviously been the biggest thing because that's the main area in which he kind of seems to have regressed uh, from previous years. So if he can clean that up, uh, then KU's back to operating with like one of the best distributing point cards in the nation.
0: Yeah, I think to your point, you know, against Oklahoma, he only goes one of four from three, right? But I think yeah. he, the fact that he's even taken those shots, though, is certainly a positive sign, right?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Especially on a team that's built like this one is, and it uh, kind of went hand in hand with with Johnny Furphy getting his stroke back. And uh, I I personally think that some of the perimeter shooting stuff has been a little overstated. But I I think that uh, that's kind of optimally how it would go. You'd want DeWan to shoot about that many. Johnny shoot about that many. And ideally, maybe you'd get Nick Timberlake making a couple more too. But didn't really do that against Oklahoma. So I think there's some work to do on that front. But, yeah, I mean, DeWan regularly taking those shots, like I said, it, he doesn't ha- necessarily have to make them for them to have, like, a psychological and spacing effect on a defense.
0: Yeah, I think it's funny because, you know, I go back to the preseason and I was trying to do the math on how KU was going to get to 23 point attempts per game uh, with, with their current roster. And in my head I was thinking, okay, Nick Timberlake's going to account for, you know, five or six of those. Well, obviously that was way off. But, and, and KU has they haven't been getting 23 point attempts per game. But I guess setting that as kind of an arbitrary benchmark, do you, do you think KU needs to be shooting more threes to, to be successful? Or is it more of an efficiency thing? Or how do you kind of view their, their perimeter offense right now?
1: I don't know. My view on this has, has shaved kind of wildly. And now I feel like I'm sort of in line with the party line coming out of KU, which is, you know, their defense needs to come first and that can lead to offense. I think. Just seeing the extent to which teams have tried to bombard them in recent weeks, that the more they can do to make those attempts more difficult, that also generates long rebounds that lead to runouts and sort of things that can feed into their offense better. Uh, especially with the emergence of Furphy, and especially with, as we said, DeWan's increased willingness to take those kinds of shots, I'm no longer quite as concerned about KU needing to just jack up more attempts purely. Now, I understand that three points is worth more than two, um, but I I think that this is a team that really should be playing from the inside out and taking the threes when they present themselves because Hunter is like drawing people into the center and whatnot. I don't think they need to draw up more ways to shoot threes if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and, and you touched on Johnny Furphy there. He's a guy that's been popping up more on 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 draft boards. I, I guess I, I don't know. Do, do you get the sense maybe that 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 that's something that is under serious consideration from his camp, or or do you think maybe they're just focused on trying to get through this season? I guess what's kind of your view on, on Johnny Furphy, I guess the idea of him potentially uh, declaring for the draft after this season?
1: I mean, if he keeps up at this pace, it would be kind of hard to argue against him going at the draft uh, just in terms of, he has like the prototypical attributes you'd want. He's, you know, he, he's got the length, he's got the shot, he can defend better and better with seemingly each passing game. And really he just has a great feel for the game in terms of, you know, knowing what lane to go in and transition knowing when to cut, um, making good passes, and not really being a liability in the way that uh, other freshmen often can be. Um, so I, I, especially with how young he is, and that's the kind of upside that NBA teams often want, I really would not be surprised at all. I know it's hard to envision that given where things were at like a month and a half ago, but I don't know. I, I, I would totally get it if he chose to become a pro after the season.
0: When you look at this stretch run for KU that they have coming up, is there one game you think that may be more difficult for Kansas than we're possibly giving credit to right now down the stretch? I mean, I know you look at the road games with Houston and Baylor, but is there is there another game maybe of the home games KU has left where you're thinking, uh, ah, you know, this this can actually end up being a much tougher matchup than we're giving it credit for?
1: Yeah, I, I mentioned BYU earlier, and I actually I, I tweeted this yesterday, and people were not too happy with me. But I think that could be a vastly more challenging matchup than Ku than for Ku than a lot of people would give it credit for. Like I said, they got five players who can shoot. They got a center who can pass the ball extremely well, and Khalifa, and all of those shooters are really good at going and getting their own rebounds. And, and you know, Ku has been good at rebounding at times, but. BYU is almost as good of a rebounding team as Cincinnati has been, and I just think about how that Cincinnati game would have gone if Cincinnati could have like made a shot at any point during the game. That might have been a loss in Allen Fieldhouse to a, to a Big 12 newcomer. And I, while their offenses are set up differently, um, BYU doesn't have people who can create off the dribble, like, I don't know, skilling Cincinnati or whatever. I just think that KU, even though they did a better job against Oklahoma, has consistently shown itself to be vulnerable against teams that just bombard them from the perimeter. Um, they did a pretty good job against Baylor, but not perfect. I think Baylor would probably be the model you'd want to go after, but like I said, the offensive rebounding of the guards uh, plays a role. They have, besides Khalifa, they have a more physical center inside and in Traore that can kind of provide the contrast, so I just think that's a really interesting roster and setup, unlike others in the Big 12, and I'll be interested to see what KU does to deal with it uh, on Tuesday.
0: Yeah, and of course, before KU has to deal with BYU, they got to get through Texas right? at Allen Fieldhouse, another interesting team that has a lot of talent, but it hasn't really come to fruition, but uh, still could be a dangerous team. What do you think will be the biggest key for for KU against uh, the Longhorns on Saturday?
1: Um, I'd probably say ball screen defense again. You know, Bill Self said on hot Talk the other day, the first thing he looks at when he's a roster is how well their four and five men are shooting from three, which was a really interesting insight to hear, by the way. But, uh, you know, Dylan disu can, can obviously shoot from the outside. Um, Hunter is going to be running around trying to deal with him. I imagine KJ will be running around trying to deal with him. And I believe since conference play started, Dylan Disu is the highest, scorer in the conference uh, you know i think kevin still has the overall title getting back before conference play and including these league games but i think this since he came back from that foot injury in december has been a massive threat He's just piled in one remarkable scoring showing after another so he will be a handful and that's not even talking about max ace who's one of the best scoring guards in the big 12 and that's part of why i feel kevin uh will be so important in this game you know, you could say DeWan maybe you could deal with Ace. it's not like Ace is like a super big guard or anything. I think he's six feet. But the issue is, if you have that, then you are leaving other people, uh, you know, like Johnny Furphy and whatnot, to deal with the other threats uh, that Texas has on the outside, including the likes of Tyrese Hunter. So, yeah, a talented team that was projected to finish third in the conference and hasn't really gotten anywhere near that Um I would expect Ku to win this one, but obviously, two super talented players with a nice supporting cast around them. Are you a Breaking Bad fan at all, Henry? I've never really gotten into it. I did oh. see a little kind of Breaking Bad museum thingy when I was in Albuquerque over the summer, but oh, wow. unfortunately, I might not know whatever reference point you're going to uh, well <laughs> compare something to. Texas
0: head coach Rodney Terry. He looks exactly like Gustavo Fring. So just look that up. Look up Gustavo Fring and look up Ruddy Tide. They, they look identical. That, that's my homework for you. Oh, yeah,
1: no, I, I know what I know John Carlos DeZito looks like. Oh, okay, like, okay. I, I'm okay. going to back you up on that one. <laughs> yeah, he's been in enough things that I know him from beyond Breaking Bad. Yes, I will. I'll back you on that comparison.
0: Okay, there we go. He is Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. Henry, uh, you got anything uh, going on over there at KUSports.com that you'd like people to check out right now?
1: Um... I don't know, not especially. I guess I'll just put it on everyone's radar that we'll have a special section for the NCAA tournament shortly after Selection Sunday. So that feels like a ways away right now, but I'm already working on it. So yeah, it's, I mean, we're, we're what, not we're, a ways away for me. As we say,
0: are we three weeks out? We'll be three weeks from Sunday, I think. Is that right?
1: So. Yeah. Oh gosh, can that really be it? But I think that is it. I think it's like the seventeenth. So yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Once again, he is Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World and Sports.com. Be sure to check out all his work over there. Henry, appreciate your time as always, man, and uh, have a great rest of your week.
1: Thank you. You too. All
0: right, that was Henry Greenstein of the Lawrence Journal World joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. KU Milbag coming up next. And also, Shrey Salada is going to join the show from the Kansas City Star in the 4 o'clock hour at 4.40. That and more. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Nick Springer from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting in a studio all day, my body feels great thanks to Massage Envy. Their total body stretch services can help you stay loose and limber and clear your mind and help your body. Their total body stretch services are completely customizable. All you have to do is sit back, relax, and breathe deep while they help you through the guided stretches. So if you've been dealing with aches and pains, be sure to check out Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th and Black Bob in Olathe. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Coming up later up in the later on in this hour, Shreya Slata of the Kansas City Star is going to join the show at 440. Also, KU Women's Basketball has a big game tonight. You'll be able to hear that right here on KLWN. Pre-game coverage at 645 for a seven o'clock tip-off between KU and Baylor. We'll dive a little bit more into that and what it could mean for Kansas. Uh, coming up also later on this hour. In the 5 o'clock hour, I wanted to take a little bit of a deeper dive on KU's new offensive line coach hire. Uh, so we'll get into that as we'll have some uh, college football talk coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. But of course, right now, it is time for my favorite segment of the week. That's right. It's the KU Mailbag here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. As always, thanks so much to everyone that submitted questions for the Mailbag today. You still have time, actually. I mean, during the Mailbag, if you are listening... Set a text in if you have a question or hit us up in the DMs on Twitter with, uh, at rcsc 1320 If you do want to send a text to our text line to submit a question, it's 785-843-1321 for, uh, to send a text to get a question in here last minute for the KU Mailbag. This is my favorite segment of the week, so as always, thanks so much to everybody that submitted questions for the mailbag for this week. First question comes from Adam. Adam says, can you talk about how Hunter Dickinson has fared when playing against Purdue and specifically Zach Eady in his time as part of the Big Ten Conference? Glad you asked, Adam, and yes, I can. Hunter Dickinson, as a member of Michigan, played Zach Eady three times in January of 2021, in February of 2022, and in January of 2023. The Big Ten has obviously had an unbalanced schedule for quite some time because they're a bigger conference, so they ha- he hasn't played him. Uh, twice really in any of the seasons they ended up not ever meeting in the in the Big Ten tournament either so he's played him three times coincidentally coincidentally, Hunter Dickinson has a winning record against Zach Eadie he is two and one uh, against Purdue and Zach Eadie when they played together so you go back to 2021 and Hunter Dickinson in that game starts and scores just eight points in 23 minutes Zach Eady for Purdue actually came off the bench in that game. That 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 was his freshman year, I believe, in 2020 2021. And uh, Zach Eady only started two games that season. So he came off the bench for Purdue, scored four points and got eight rebounds in 13 minutes. Michigan won on the road at Purdue, 70 to 53, by the way, in that game. But I don't know, not much to really take away from that. Dickinson played 23 minutes. Eady didn't even really start. So I don't know. I don't know how much you want to how much you want to put on that one. Now the action really gets going when they meet again in February of 2022. February 10th, 2022. Michigan hosts number 3 Purdue and absolutely dominates them 82 to 58 in Ann Arbor. Hunter Dickinson goes off for 22 points and 9 rebounds. Michigan wins big over number 3 Purdue. Zach Eady started that game, played just 17 minutes and had 10 points and 6 rebounds. I played only 17 minutes I would assume because Michigan I think got up big and probably they didn't feel like they needed to play Zach Eady. Hunter Dickinson goes four of six from three, by the way, and that's something that's important that I'm going to touch on here uh, after after the, after I get done talking about this last game. Uh, so then that game, eighty-two fifty-eight, Michigan wins. So now they've beaten Purdue by seventeen at Purdue, and then by what twenty-four in Ann Arbor, eighty-two fifty-eight. Fast forward to fast forward to January sixth of twenty twenty-three. So last January. Number one Purdue goes to Ann Arbor and beats Michigan, who at the time was only like 11 9, I think. Uh, They beat Michigan 75 70 in Ann Arbor, so a closer game, close game. Hunter Dickinson goes for 21 points and seven rebounds. Zach Eady got 19 points and nine rebounds with two blocks in the game. But another key stat here Hunter Dickinson goes three of seven from three in that game against uh, purdue and zach Eady in that one but of course michigan loses so there you go so michigan wins the first two meetings between Edie and dickinson and that last one last year purdue wins now again that first meeting back in 2021 i don't know how much stock you wanted to put into it because dickinson uh scored eight points in 23 minutes and zach Eady was off the bench so when you look at these last two meetings specifically and to adam's question uh how dickinson fared playing against purdue and specifically zach Eady. Well, you look at his numbers. So I mentioned he goes 4 of 6 from 3 back in 2022. He goes 3 of 7 from 3 last season against uh, Purdue. And those two numbers, 7 three-point attempts and 6 three-point attempts, those are both career – those are career highs for Hunter Dickinson. When he shot 6 in 2022, that was a career high for him at the time. And then 7 in 2023 last season was a career high for him again. Uh, by the way, the most he shot in the game this season for KU is 5, and that was against Iowa State. So uh, these are two career highs for Dickinson shooting threes. So to answer your question about how they kind of approached playing against Zach Eadie with Hunter Dickinson, it's pretty clear that Michigan's coaching strategy was, hey, Hunter Dickinson play from the perimeter and shoot the three to try to draw Zach Eadie away from the basket. And that's, uh, that's evident by the fact that again, two, those are career highs from Dickinson uh, seven three point attempts and six three point attempts. So that was how they that was how Michigan decided to play eating and I think it makes sense right Hunter Dickinson was billed as being a, a kind of a guy that can step out and shoot threes and right now for KU, he's on pace to shoot actually the most threes he shot in a season for KU. You know he's up to so last season for Michigan he shot 57 threes. I did a kind of a deep dive on this a couple weeks ago. He shoots he shot 57 threes last season in 34 games. This season for KU, he's at 54 threes already through 26 games. So he's already looking like he's going to be shooting the most amount of threes he's shot in his career overall. But still, again, the most amount of threes he's had in one game this season for KU was against Iowa State when he shot five. And he shot six in 2022 and seven in 2023 against Zach Eadie. So uh, I I don't know if Bill Self would utilize the same strategy if KU runs into, you know, I I go back to that UConn game with like Klingon. And in the Yukon game, Edie did shoot three did shoot four threes. He went three of four from three. So it seems like, you know, the strategy if you're facing a team like a Zach Edie or even like a UConn was with, with Klingon. I'm trying to think of like other elite big men that you'd want to do this against, maybe even like a Kalkbrenner for, for Creighton. The strategy would be utilize Hunter Dickinson's shooting ability. Uh, and that was on display between uh, Michigan and Purdue as a uh, shuttle those threes against Edie. So Hopefully that uh, helps answer your question, Adam. Next up, next question here on the mailbag comes from Sam. Sam says, are there too many coordinators on college football teams these days? If a team is a run game coordinator, pass game coordinator, and an offensive coordinator, like, what's the point? That is an interesting question, Sam. And here's what I'll say. College football and really, I mean, athletics in general now, it's become so big, it's become so complex that... You almost have to have a, these this number of people on staff on your staff just to be able to sort of understand what what's going on in on all things, right? I mean, you think about college football and and, co- and especially you know head coaches, and I think you look at how KU's run with Lance Leipold specifically. As a co- as a head coach in college, you almost have to run your program like it's a business, like it's like you're the CEO of a business, and you need individuals at different levels that you can delegate to for different tasks right and i think that kind of is extended even further when you think about the nil era that we're in now where you need to have coaches that are constantly in communication with players you know sort of more in touch with players on a regular basis and you know developing relationships either from a recruiting standpoint to either keep players in your program or maybe you have coaches on staff that are helping to go out and recruit and recruit on top of that so i think that would kind of be my answer is uh I, I understand like i do understand but because college football i think is probably so demanding now it's a 365 day a year job and there's so much data there's so much analysis that goes into it and that and again that's just, just strictly on the field then you think about all the off the field stuff with dealing with nil with dealing with players and everything like that i think you do in a certain sense almost have to have people you know and, and again this is a situation where you know I, I haven't i haven't obviously been a part of a program but I would think this is a situation where you have people with certain titles where maybe they they do more than that, right? Or they're doing other things beyond that. So I don't know. That's kind of my view. Uh, And and I know the NCAA does strictly regulate the number of coaches you can have on staff. And I know uh, certainly there's probably a lot of schools that are constantly looking for ways to circumvent that and try to stay within the NCAA regulations, right? With number of coaches and whatnot and everything. So I'm sure there's lots and lots of uh, thoughts that goes into it but that's just kind of my guess right it's like with the complexity of the sport nowadays and the fact that you almost have to deal with so much just even beyond what's on the field right beyond the Xs and Os you have to look at NIL you have to look at all everything else so i think that's probably plays a big factor as well and just building relationships with the players right because you know, I mean, you got you got 85, 90 kids on your team, and you gotta find a way to, you know, sort of manage that. And I think the last thing you want to do if you're a head coach or even an offensive coordinator is feel like you're micromanaging. Uh, so I think it's a lot of, it's a lot of delegation of tasks. It's a lot of a process. And again, I, I look at Lance Leipold specifically, right? I mean, his whole program is driven on this, is driven on the process, right? That's kind of what they do. They have a, they they have a very clear process that they want to go out and execute on a day-to-day basis and uh, you know if it requires that level of manpower for them to execute that then I guess so be it right uh, that's just kind of how it is really uh where you know you got guys so analyzing so many different things and you only get x number of practices and so on and so forth and so I, I don't know I think I think it kind of makes sense uh, but I, I do get it right I mean you look and you see guys that are have those types of titles and you think what, what does this person really do but I, I'm sure they have you know various things various uh, you know I, I doubt they're Wanting for things to do, probably, uh, with, with how complex and how significant college football is now. Thank you for the question, Sam. Next question comes from jayhawk for life Would you rather eat hot dogs for dinner for the rest of your life, or all of your favorite sports teams combined never win a championship again? This is a tough question for a couple of different reasons. I, I don't know, man. I, I mean... I would it – you'd have to come up with something truly diabolical for me to give up never seeing my favorite sports teams win a, win a championship ever again because, I mean, it's just the amount of personal and – the amount of personal plus, like, I'm trying to think of right word here, personal plus, like, just group joy that you get from watching your favorite sports team win a championship – it's it's incredible i mean those are moments in my life that i'm never going to forget the rest of my life those are moments that i'm going to cherish for the rest of my life you know watching games with my friends you know watching with my family developing you know those relationships with my friends and family through these events right i mean it goes way beyond just it goes for me it goes way beyond just a trophy cabinet right It, it is about it's about the memories Right? I mean, when you when you have the opportunity to make those types of memories. I mean, again, Chiefs winning the Super Bowl in 2020 was, and even now is probably the greatest day of my life, right? And, you know, KU winning the national championship also up there, certainly, just in terms of getting to celebrate with other people, you know. And in a world today where people are always divided on different things, sports are so often, I think, one of the uniters when it comes to fan bases right and you can go and celebrate something and and kind of getting off topic here but that's just that to me was really what hurt the most about what transpired with the Chiefs and the Super Bowl parade after after the parade with the, with the terrible shooting was that man you know sports like I said it's 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 one of those few things it's one of the few things still left I feel like where people can be united in in celebration of, of a team and at the Chiefs parade obviously that that's been tarnished a little bit but Going back to this discussion, kind of I, I don't know. I don't I don't it would I mean I don't know what I would do to give that up, right? Because I <clears throat> you know, I always go back to twenty twenty with the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl. You know, my dad's a huge Chiefs fan, obviously I'm, I'm a Chiefs, he's a Chiefs fan as well. In twenty twenty, that was the first time that my dad had seen the Chiefs win the Super Bowl and that I had seen it the Chiefs win the super bowl. We're thirty years apart, right? But to experience that, to have that moment, it's just it's incredible, man. And I I don't, I I don't even, again, I don't know what you'd have to come up with for me to, for me to, to, to accept, to give up, you know, my favorite sports team playing national championship. So I would absolutely take the hot dogs. You know, you can cut up hot dogs. You can cook hot dogs different ways. You can, you can make hot dogs work, right? You can do a lot of different things. So, and honestly, this might be actually be a good thing because it would probably save me money. Hot dogs are not that expensive compared to, you know, what I might eat out or whatever, right? So, I'm absolutely doing the hot dogs for dinner for the rest of my life. Again, I don't even know what you'd have to come up with because I feel very strongly about the experiences that I've gotten to have through my sports teams, having success and what it means. And and that's, and, and, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, I know I always, I always talk mess on, on Bill's fans and whatnot and, you know, tortured fan bases, but, but honestly, like I, I do hope those, those fans and those, those people get to experience it because it's, it's really really incredible and it's, it can be such a powerful moment in your life to have you know 22 random people on a football field you know five random people on a basketball court bring that much joy to you individually and to you know maybe if you're if you are have friends who are fans together to to, to you collectively right So yeah absolutely give me the hot dogs I'm chopping them up I'm putting them in spaghetti. Uh, as my program director Joel suggested when I told him about this question, chopping them up, put them in spaghetti, you know, grilling them, eating them, however, whatever, I'm doing it. I'm doing it all. Doing it all so that my teams can still win championships for sure. This question. Next question comes from David. David says thoughts on the possibility of the March Madness tournament being expanded. Yeah, this was remember this was kind of an issue or kind of a discussion last year, I think, and. It really died immediately, and I think the reason is because there was such a negative pushback to it. You know, there were some, I, I feel like there was some some people that were kind of coming out and floating the idea, and I think a lot of it came down to maybe seeing how the public would react to such a suggestion. And, yeah, I hate it. Uh, I hate it. I hate the idea. The tournament is, is where well, the tournament is at right now. It's perfect. It, I think it, it, it does everything that you want it to do right now as a tournament. It does a great job. You still feel like you're crowning a champion that is deserving really and it's it's I mean it's it's arguably the best it's arguably the best event in sports and I think there are a lot of fans out there that would say that it is that it is the best event in sports right I mean there's a reason why people you know take off work take off vacation whatever for specifically in March because it is truly the time that time of the year where You can get together. You can sit on your couch, and for 12 hours straight, you can just kick back and enjoy college basketball for you know three, four days in a row. Uh, So it's it's and but again, I think the way it is right now is perfect. I I wouldn't change it at all. I wouldn't change it at all. You know, this goes back to you don't need to change for the sake of change. There is absolutely nothing wrong with the tournament as it is right now. It 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 fulfills everything that you want it to fulfill. I think it's I think it's perfectly fine where it's at. Last question here comes from Big Boy underscore Benji. How worried are you about KU facing the baseball powerhouse of WSU, Washington State, in the Round Rock Classic on Saturday? People are saying this could be a CWS preview, College World Series preview. Well, thanks so much to Big Boy Benji for the question. Uh, he's a, a friend who is a Washington State graduate. and you best believe that the rivalry between Washington State and Kansas, it's going to be ignited this weekend as a uh, Kansas they are, in the round box. they are in the Round Rock Classic coming up this weekend. Kansas is two and two right now. They lost two out of three against Illinois Chicago. Got a big win actually last night against Texas AM Corpus Christi. Kansas got down four nothing and came back to win thirteen to seven. They got four home runs hit in the game for uh, KU. And Cody Shojinaga had another huge night. He went three of five with three runs driven in. It's another impressive night for him. But yeah, coming up in the Round Round Rock Classic, KU's going to play Texas State on Friday, Washington State on Saturday, and Kentucky, who's in the top 25, on Sunday. So it should be a good test for KU. Washington State, by the way, so to go back to Big Boy Benji's question about the CWUS preview, Washington State, they have not been to the NCAA tournament since 2010 and haven't been to the College World Series since 1976. And, of course, KU's only been in the College World Series one time in 1993, and they have not been in the tournament since 2014. So I don't know about a College World Series preview, but it could still be a fun game, certainly. Washington State is a first-year head coach. Kansas, of course, is Dan Fitzgerald in his second year, and I think it should be definitely a fun tournament. And, again, an opportunity for KU to to maybe test themselves, especially I think that Sunday game against Kentucky is the game that I am most intrigued by uh, for KU baseball because that's a top 25 SEC opponent. And then, of course, Kansas comes back home to play against Texas Southern coming up the weekend after on March 1st. And they'll be at home for a while, actually, for about two weeks. They're going to play TCU to kick off conference play uh, coming up on uh, March, 8th, March 8th, 9th and 10th at Oakland Ballpark. And, and, of course, if the weather stays this way, as it has been this week, it will be perfect for some baseball here in Lawrence. Knowing, knowing Kansas weather, though, it's going to go down to, like, 35, 40 degrees by the time KU's ready to play their home games. And it's like, oh, man, you could have played in 70-degree weather on February 21st, and instead it's going to be, you know, 20 degrees on March 1st. So we'll see. But, yeah, Round Rock, Round, Round Rock Classic for Kansas down in Round Rock, uh, Texas. Texas State, Washington State, and Kentucky for KU Baseball coming up over the weekend. All right. That is our KU Mailbag for today. Once again, thanks so much to everyone that submitted questions for the KU Mailbag for today. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll take a little preview of KU women's basketball. They are taking on Baylor coming up tonight. You'll be able to hear that game right here on KLWN with tip-off at 7 o'clock for KU and Baylor in Waco. We'll dive a little bit deeper into that and the implications of this game for Kansas coming up next. Trey Lada of the Kansas City Star, which on the show in about 15 minutes from right now. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, and right now we are joined by Shreyas Lada of the Kansas City Star. You can check out his work at Kansas City.com covering all things happening with KU. And, Trace, let's start with, with KU. On Saturday, they get a, a big win on the road against Oklahoma where they had to really claw their way back late in the first half and into the second half. What What was kind of your biggest takeaway from KU coming back and getting that big win on the road?
2: I think it was an important win. You know, I think it was looking like they might be heading towards another road conference loss. Um, you know, another team shooting lights out from three, at least in the first half. They adjusted their on-ball defense, like Bill said, uh, on-ball screen defense, and uh, it was that was one of the biggest things. Turnaround the second half is they they're really locked in defensively. Only allowed four made shots, uh, which is crazy. They went four of twenty shot to ooh. Uh Oklahoma did, which is like eighteen percent from four. Uh, and I think one of ten from three, uh, so it was an impressive win. I mean, I, I don't—I wasn't worried that Kansas might not win the game. So, you know, I felt like Oklahoma really lacked the offense to beat Kansas, especially without the two bench guys, uh, one of them who averaged 13 in uh, a game in uh, conference play. But it was one of those wins that it could be a turning point for this Kansas team, uh, and it was important for them to get a win like that on the road because you know they—the projection had them as a, a two seed as the last two seed. In uh, you know like the month early NCAA committee projection, Uh, and if they lost that, they were in danger of potentially falling to the three seed
0: Yeah, and you mentioned there with Bill Self talking about the adjustments they made on defense in the second half. What did you see? Was it was it the adjustments? Was it just KU turning up the intensity? What what did you see in that second half from KU's defense?
2: I think it was a little bit of both, uh, in the sense of you know like it really felt like they locked in and you know they they adjusted
0: to uh,
2: you know. uh, Switching a little bit off ball, I think KJ was going after the perimeter a little more versus Hunter uh, being uh, back a little more, and I think that helped. Um, there was a couple different adjustments that they made, uh, and I mean, I think just you know going back and watching some of that stuff, it was a pretty impressive clinic on the defensive end for Kansas. You know, like it shows when they're locked in how deadly uh, they are and how dangerous they are, and uh, you know that second half was the kind of step in half that you want to see from a team that you hope can make a good and deep run uh, in March.
0: And the other big storyline, I think, from that game against Oklahoma, Kevin McCuller returning, ends up playing 35 minutes. Wasn't very efficient, but Bill Self said after the game that Kansas didn't win without him. But I guess going forward, Bill Self then said on Monday with the Hawk Talk that, that this is going to be an injury that Kevin may be dealing with really for the rest of the season. Going forward, how concerned are you about that and about, what Kevin can bring to the team if he's still dealing with this injury going forward?
2: I think it's going to be a little bit of a concern. Uh, you know, obviously having this break has probably been nice for him and Kansas as a whole. So you hope he gets as close to a hundred percent as possible, but it's something to monitor for the rest of the season. And then it's going to be something that I think will hinder him a little bit, you know, maybe he's not as efficient as he should be. Uh, you know, there might be some points where, you know, if Kansas is out of the big 12 race, maybe you just rest him for a couple of days and let him get ready for the big Twelve tournament and NCAA tournament. Um, I think it, it, a lot of it's going to just be, you know, what happens day to day, you know? And you hope that he's more healthy than he's not, and you hope he's as close to 100% as possible. But like Bill said, it might not happen this season where he's 100% healthy. And you have to be okay with that because, you know, even an 80% Kevin McCullough is better than a Nick Timberlake or a Marco Jackson at this point in time.
0: Yeah, I kind of thought about that yesterday where it's like, it, it seems a little bit too harsh, but it's almost, in, in addition by subtraction, kind of where, to your point, you know, 30 to 35 minutes of Kevin McCuller at 70 80 percent may be better than splitting those minutes between El Marco and, and Nick Timberlake at this point, right?
2: Absolutely. No, I 100 percent agree, and it makes it easier to have a guy like Kevin on the floor. In the defensive end, obviously, but in the offensive end, it makes, you know, Hunter Dickinson and Johnny Murphy's jobs a lot easier as well. You know, he opens up a lot of things and uh, opens up some more open shots for for Johnny, you know, because the scouting report is out on him, you know, on uh, you know, making sure to get out there in the perimeter and defend him and stuff like that. But he's still shooting 42% from uh, three, basically, since he started uh, in the starting lineup at uh, 11 games ago.
0: Yeah, and I think I didn't want to get into Johnny perfect here in a second, but just to wrap up the, uh, the thought there, with KU's defense in the second half, I also just wonder if KU is able to make those adjustments that Kevin McCuller is not playing, right? Like, Does Bill self-trust in El Marco or Nick Timberlake to make the type of adjustments that he made that allowed Kansas to come back in that game?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure he does. You know, I, I'm not sure he... I mean, maybe they would have tried it and probably would not have worked as well because, you know, like there was a, uh, a lot of defensive uh, miscommunications and errors in the first half and uh, it wasn't the best version of Kansas that we can know they can be at times this season. So, um, you know, just having Kevin out there gives you the variability and the switchability to do different things on the defense. And, you know, even if he's not 100% the offense, band, his defense has always been... Uh, you know, his trademark. And more often than not, he's usually always stellar on that.
0: Okay, let's talk Johnny Furphy here. Yesterday, the Athletic puts out their latest mock draft, having him going 13th uh, in the lottery in the draft. Uh, what, what was your reaction to that? And do you get the sense that Johnny Furphy could be a guy that maybe moves on to the NBA after the season?
2: I mean, I'm not surprised. I think I, we've talked about it, and I've said it before, that in this week draft, it was just a matter of time. Um, I've heard from a lot of people in NBA draft circles that you know he's an NBA player. Uh, it's, and this was like uh, weeks ago. Like I had texts from NBA draft guys, you know, like national evaluators for major sites, and they were just kind of like, "Yeah, you know, it's it's a matter of you know uh, coming back a uh, extra year at Kansas won't be bad, but we're getting to a territory where he's basically averaging 14 a game since he's coming to starting light up. He's averaging seven rebounds a game. He's shooting 42% in the field or sorry from, from deep. You know, like, yes, he needs to beef up. Yes, he can get better defensively. But he's doing a lot of things that I think, you know, excite NBA teams. He's a 6'9", switchable wing. Um, and just from what I've heard, you know, and uh, around him and then, you know, getting to know him and all the people around him, um, I think it's very much in flux. You know, I think they're just taking it day to day. I wrote in my article that, like, you know, the sources around him are saying, you know, they are probably going to evaluate depending on what happens with Kansas season. Um, I think compared to a lot of uh, American guys, these international prospects are more likely to come back for another year or so. But um, just, you know, talk to his coaches and stuff like that. They had told him to be prepared for the idea that in, you know, May um, that he could be declared to the draft or like, you know, going to the draft in July or whatever. And uh, so I don't think it's about a realm of possibility, but if he starts becoming a consistent lottery pick projection in every draft, I think it would be, um, you know, I would be very surprised if he doesn't declare and at least test out the process and see what people say. Um, And, you know, if he's a consistent lottery pick by the time, you know, Kansas ends its season, I don't see him coming back.
0: Yeah. There's a couple of interesting things to break down there. As you mentioned with, with KU season, I mean, is this a situation where if KU makes a run of the national championship and maybe goes to the final four or makes the national title game or wins even wins the title that maybe that situation where he would say okay I've I've accomplished maybe what I wanted to accomplish and now that would send me more to the NBA draft do you think that would be a possibility
2: Yeah I think so he's hyper focused right now on helping Kansas win a national championship that's the kind of the what I've gotten from uh everyone around him and you know what I've been told um you know like they're going to evaluate I mean I think just even talking to his family and stuff like that, uh, you know, they, it's, it's everything that's happening with him. It's just like stuff that they didn't expect to happen as quick as it has. And, you know, it's like for him, it's a lot, you know, because in the last, you know, really in July last year, he wasn't even sure if he was going to play college basketball in 2023. You know, he reclassified, you know, the, the plan for him was, you know, to stay another year and then, you know, go to the 2024 class. Right. Kansas wanted him bad. Bill Self convinces his parents and him uh, to join. And, you know, like he's basically become like the epitome of a late bloomer. I mean, in uh before 2020, he was five foot eight. So, like, everything for him is just really kind of blew up in the last couple of years. Um, and he's like kind of showcased, uh, you know, like, and, and he's he's said this. Me, like, you know, when I was talking to him about this. He was like, you know, I've always had the self-belief that I will – Become a good player. I just need my height to catch up, and now we're seeing everything that he believed he could do slowly happening. Um, but for him, it's still a little surreal because he's like, "Wow, like I, you know, like all these crowds and all the attention on him. It's like, you know, he's still getting used to that." Uh, so I think right now he's just enjoying the day to day. You know, trying to work, uh, get better at defense, uh, focus on that. Um, you know, enjoy the fact that he's playing college basketball at Kansas, um, trying to in on his skills and help Kansas win a national championship. Uh, but, you know, I, I think there's a very real possibility if he's project a projected lottery pick in every, you know, mock draft come, you know, when Kansas' season ends, I think it'd be tough for anybody, no matter whether it's John Furphy or Grady Dick or whoever, to turn that down because that's life-changing money.
0: Yeah, it definitely is, and certainly I think uh, maybe I missed my growth spurt, unfortunately. I think I was 5'8", you know, and then I, I maybe got an inch or two, unfortunately, unlike about a foot that he got. Uh, and you mentioned Grady Dick there. I do think it's interesting, you know, in this latest athletic draft that I alluded to, he's projected 13th. Grady Dick goes 13th in the draft last year, and obviously there's more of a comparison to be had there. I mean, they're two wing guys. Uh, Furphy's developed into a shooter. I mean, is is it – is it a fair comparison, I guess, to maybe look back at kind of what Grady Dick did and say, okay, you know, if Furphy goes on that track and maybe kind of ends up producing down the stretch what Grady Dick did, that maybe that isn't that could be the path where that's there's some similarities there, you think? Yeah, I
2: think there's definitely some similarities there. It's funny enough, like, he's a big Grady Dick fan um, for what his coaches were telling me. So, like, there, there's definitely a little similarities there. You know, he plays uh, a Christian Brown role, too. I've been, you know, one of the draft evaluators told me that, like, you know, um, he kind of plays a similar role to what Christian kind of plays, you know, hyper athletic, uh, wing. I think the biggest difference between Grady and him is I think Grady is a better scorer. Um, and you know, he can handle more of an offensive load than Johnny can, but I think Johnny might be a better overall player, um, at this time, you know, wise, like, I mean, Grady Dick wasn't getting six steals in a game, you know, like Johnny did. He has quick hands. I think he's better. His defensive ceiling is higher than what Grady's was and is, uh, at the moment. Um, but Grady was such a sharpshooter, and his ability to get shots off with limited space and stuff like that I think is a little better than Johnny, Uh, but Johnny I think is a better all-around player, and in this draft class where it's so weak, where you have guys like Zach Eady who were not even on draft boards last year in some people's uh, case, uh, being a potential lottery pick, I mean, if I'm an NBA player, I'm picking the guy who's 6'9", 19 uh, from Australia over a Zach Eady or a... Uh, Kevin McCullers, like that. And no disrespect to them, but it's like the potential of what Johnny Furphy can offer and what he can grow into is, is much higher than a Zach Eady. You know, we know you know what you're going to get with uh, Zach Eady, and you don't know what you can get with Johnny. Yeah, I mean, we've seen him grow just in this season alone, but he's grown so much in his game the last couple of seasons.
0: Yeah, he really has in, in the last couple of weeks, right, even just in conference play, right? He's been outstanding. Yep. You look around the rest of the Big 12, at some of the other freshmen that are in the Big 12. you got, like, a Jacoby Walter at Baylor, a tugler at Houston. But uh, do you think there's a path for Johnny Furphy, maybe to even winning Big 12 Freshman of the Year down the stretch here if he continues to to perform well?
2: I think there is a path. I think it'll be tough because, you know, like you said, there's some very talented freshmen out in the conference. Jacoby Walter is a very good freshman. I think it's going to have to be one of those things that he becomes the star, uh, you know, alongside Kevin McCullough and Hunter Dickinson, where he's, like, averaging 15, 16, 17 a game and he helps Kansas make a title run. I think that's the path, right? Or, like, helps make Kansas um, make a run down the stretch to win the Big 12 title uh, and potentially down the line more than that. uh, You know, like, if he is the reason Kansas wins out the rest of the time, I don't see why not.
0: Yeah, and looking ahead for Kansas, too, this Saturday, they got Texas at home. also have a, a tough game against BYU. I think the BYU game might be s- sneaky, pretty difficult for KU coming up next week as well, but they've got those two road games against Houston and Baylor. Also, uh, down the stretch here, what, what are you maybe most looking for for Kansas here as they try to possibly still fight for a Big 12 title and really set themselves up for, for postseason play?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the important thing is they win out at home. You know, like you have to win out at home uh, to give yourself a chance to play for the Big 12 title, right? And we've seen, you know, Kansas got a little lucky in the sense that Iowa State didn't beat Houston because Bill had alluded to this, that uh, Iowa State's schedule is very favorable the rest of the year if they had beaten Houston. You know, like it's basically their title to lose at that point. Um, so they didn't do that, and Kansas gets a chance to play two teams that are ahead of them in the conference. You know, they are, like, I think game and a half back right now at this point of Baylor and, uh, you know, Houston. So if, if Kansas can go out there and somehow sweep both of those in the road or even one, Maybe you know, like if they get one, there's a chance that they can win the title, big twelve title. Obviously, it gets a little bit of luck on the other teams losing a little bit, uh, but if they sweep both, you know, I think that pretty much guarantees you know, like basically ends the path. The winning big twelve title is basically perfect. Uh, that gives them the chance to win it, and I think that pretty much guarantees them the title if they they are perfect the
0: rest of the way. And uh, switching over, switching gears here to a little bit of K football. There was some news, obviously, with Scott Folk's leaving. And uh, KU sounds like they've got their new offensive line coach already as well, as reported by Pete Thamel yesterday. Looking ahead to, to, to the spring for, for KU football, it's really just around the corner. I mean, spring ball could be starting up here soon. Uh, what, what are you most looking for, for for KU football coming up in these uh, next couple weeks and months? Yeah, I'm excited to see the development
2: of some of the younger guys from last year. You know, um, a guy like and Clemens, who got his first start in the bowl game and held his own for the most part, besides one or two uh, penalties uh, for holding, um excited to see a guy like zeke marshall who everyone's kind of heralded as a really big recruit Kansas to bring in and is better than his his rating everyone said um and see how he progresses in his you know freshman season as he'll probably redshirt hopefully he doesn't have to play um obviously Jalen daniels's health is the number one thing that i'm paying attention to because i think if he's healthy uh and he, he misses less than like two or three games uh if he isn't healthy um you know Kansas has a real chance for a Big Twelve title. You know their their schedule is favorable for them. They should win most of their conference games, if not all. Um, there's a couple there that could be a little bit of question marky, but um, you know this Kansas team. You know the biggest thing is like who's going to get pressure to the quarterback. Like how's the defensive line uh, going to look, and how's the offensive line going to look? Because there's been a lot of turnover on that end. You know guys have left uh, for the NFL, and Cooney and, and you Nowitzki is obviously you know. Uh, Eligibility is done, uh, you know, Armage is gone, um, et cetera. But, you know, they have a lot of attorneys. They have some young guys like Calvin Clements who are there and, you know, I think Kansas is excited about. Um, like, the line play, I think, is going to be really big for this Kansas team on both ends. So how they look uh, can probably help determine KU's aspirations uh, as the season progresses.
0: Yeah, it's, it's pretty rare when you say, you know, you hear that phrase, Oh, KU should have a good chance to win a lot of their conference games, and you're talking about football, not basketball. It's it's kind of crazy <laughs> to, to think about with that. Uh, one of one of the, one final thing here, sure. I wanted to get to is I know that you used to used to work and in, in cover some of uh, Connecticut basketball, UConn. Big loss for them last night as the number one team. Now you've had two number one teams lose in the past three days. Uh, that kind of shakes up the top five. I don't know if you managed to catch in that game against Creighton, but I don't know UConn. They they looked unbeatable right against Marquette, and now lost to Creighton. What were your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those games that, you know, Creighton just hits the heck out of the net. You know, like, they made 50% of their threes. And, you know, like, if you do that, it's kind of like the Kansas-Houston game, right? Like, do you expect Kansas to hit 70% from the floor again? I don't expect that. You know, games like that happen, and that can happen. You can lose. But I, I will say, I think, the clear favorite to win the title out of anybody in the conference, like you know, in, in college basketball, it's UConn. I, I'm not a big Purdue believer, but, you know, watching the program grow, watching Dan grow as a coach and everything like that, you know, like um, has been fun to watch from afar because he, he, for me, you know, Dan was always good to me. We had a good relationship, et cetera. Uh, But you know, this UConn team is so different from last year and they've figured out their own thing, you know, like they have a lot more younger talent than they had last year. Um, A lot of those guys leaving and they've kind of figured that out. So it's props to them. Um, But like you said, yesterday's was a good indicator that anything can happen in college basketball, even if you are the self-perceived best team in college basketball and it's a good reminder that you know like even though you might be better than your opponent sometimes they just shoot 50 percent from three and you can't do anything about it you know you can't that's just the numbers thing at that point
0: yeah and i think it's interesting you know bill self talked about with UConn last season and he talked about it with kansas this season too of of a moment maybe where everything kind of clicks or you figure it out and he talked about with UConn last season it didn't really happen until the ncaa tournament Feels like UConn's found that a little bit earlier this season. And, of course, Kansas, I think, potentially still looking for that sort of moment really uh, coming up here down the stretch. So uh, he is Shreyas Lada of the Kansas City Star. Uh, Shreyas, is there anything you got going on right now in the Kansas City Star that you want people to to go and check out?
2: Nothing crazy. I had some stuff on Johnny Rise of the Lottery with some intel there, um, you know, to check out. Um, We'll have my mailbag, obviously, to answer a lot of questions. Working on a big feature on Johnny. Hopefully that comes out next week i um, excited for that one, uh, and obviously we have a lot of the, the game day preview stuff for Texas on Saturday.
0: Right, once again, he is Shrey Slotta. Go check out all of his work at KansasCity.com. Shrey, appreciate your time as always, man. Thanks so much.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Once again, that was Shreya Salada of the Kansas City Star joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down here on the show, and we're going to get a little bit into a deep dive of KU's new offensive line coach hire coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Also might have a little bit more college football playoff talk as there was some news earlier today of the expansion approval from uh, the College Football Playoff Committee. So we'll get into that a little bit coming up at the 5 o'clock hour as well. Don't forget, you can hear KU women's basketball coming up tonight here on KLWN. Pre-game coverage will start at 645 Tip-off at 7 o'clock for KU. They are in Waco taking on the Baylor Bears, a team that they beat pretty easily back here at Allen Fieldhouse earlier in the season. And this is a big game for Kansas. as They continue to sit squarely on the bubble for the NCAA tournament. So tip-off for that game once again at 7 o'clock tonight. You'll be able to hear that right here on KLWN. Two hours down, one to go. KU Football Talk coming up next in the 5 o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. 5 o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 101.7 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, and yesterday it was reported by Pete Thamel that Kansas football quickly had hired their new offensive line coach after it was previously reported that uh, Scott Fuchs, the former offensive line coach for Kansas, was going to depart the program uh, to the NFL It marked the third really notable loss uh, on the assistant coaching staff for KU this offseason. You go back to December when they lose Andy Kolnicki to Penn State. Then earlier in January, they lose Jordan Peterson to Texas A&M. And then this one coming uh, just uh, over the past couple days, over the weekend with Scott Fuchs leaving Kansas to go join the Tennessee Titans at the NFL level. Kansas, of course, replaced Andy Kolnicki with Jeff Grimes, and they replaced uh, Jordan Peterson with DK McDonald and talk with Michael Swain earlier in the week on Monday about the possibilities of what Kansas could be looking for in this position. And obviously uh, Michael Swain pointed out a couple of really, really excellent points, which is a guy leaving your staff this late in the off season makes things about a bit difficult and could sh- really shrink your candidate pool of, of coaches you might be looking to hire to, re- to replace especially because a lot of coaches will have already signed contracts and will be locked in for the upcoming season because for a lot of teams, spring ball is going to be starting up here pretty soon. So Kansas on a bit of a time crunch and also maybe on a bit of a a crunch in terms of who they could get to replace uh, Scott Fuchs. But Andy Kolnicki zeroed in on and has reportedly made the move to hire his replacement, as reported by Pete Thamel, Agpalsa, the run game coordinator and offensive line coach at Northern Illinois, is expected to join the KU staff as as Lance Leipold's new offensive line coach. And the reason this is significant is because Agpalsa is very familiar with Lance Leipold. He coached under Lance Leipold multiple times, actually. Previously at uh, Wisconsin Whitewater and then also at Buffalo before he left Buffalo to join the staff at Northern Illinois. When uh, Scott Fuchs was hired at Buffalo, actually, to become Lance Leipold's new offensive line coach, so Pulsa, he's a pretty experienced coach overall, and I think the fact that he has experience with Lance Leipold makes this a, overall seem like a really, really quality hire. Obviously, there are questions. Biggest question being, Pulsa is not a guy that has experience at the D1, at the uh, excuse me, at the Power Five coaching level. He does have D1 experience. At the Power 5 level, though, he's been obviously in the MAC with uh, Buffalo and then with North Illinois over these past uh, couple seasons. And for Kansas, on top of that, you look at their offensive line, it's going to look a lot different coming into this upcoming season as well with Dominic Pooney leaving, Mike Davidsky leaving, and uh, you're bringing in a transfer at center. You've got a redshirt freshman in Calvin Clements who could be starting on uh, that left tackle position. So, there are plenty of questions surrounding uh, the offensive line for KU, but I want to take a little deep dive here on Ag Pulsa and what he's done previously. And in 2021, Northern Illinois actually won the MAC championship. And it was in large part due to what they were able to do up front in the trenches. They had the fourth best rushing offense in the country in 2021, Northern Illinois did when they went on to win the MAC championship averaging 24, uh, 241.4 yards per game. They also that season allowed the second fewest sacks in all of D1 with giving up just 13 and 14 games. Does that sound familiar? Well, that's because Kansas went from giving up uh, over 40 sacks in 2020 to giving up less than 18 in the second year under uh, Scott Fooks at KU. So they made a big jump as well. Uh, when Scott Folks took over. And so this offensive line, the offensive line in 2021 for Northern Illinois, was, was pretty successful. And so that jumps out immediately as, okay, you were able to run the ball well, and also you had a really, really strong pass-blocking offensive line. They had three starters that season earn all-MAC honors. And you look at 2022 in Northern Illinois, they were 10th in the country with 10 sacks allowed and they were second in the MAC with 190.4 rushing yards per game. As well, they also had a, a an offensive lineman Nolan Potter was a first team all MAC that season as well. And those of course were under Ag like Paul says the offensive line coach at Northern Illinois. You go back to his time at Buffalo when he was with Lance Leipold from uh, 2015 to 2018. Uh, Buffalo was in the top 10 in the country in fewest sacks and fewest tackles for a loss allowed in 2018. They were 22nd in the country in sacks allowed in 2017. And in 2018, Buffalo won 10 games with Lance Leipold and went on to uh, win the MAC East division and went to the Dollar General Bowl. So, again, having some success under Lance Leipold already at Buffalo as well, pretty significant. Uh, and I think really that's kind of what underscores to me that the what makes this hire a solid hire is, I mentioned this late in the process, this late in the off season as you get ready for spring ball. And your pool of candidates may be narrowed because of that. And when you think about Lance Leipold, obviously I don't, I don't know, but I, I get the sense that working under Lance Leipold could be a, a bit of a uh, I'm trying to think of the right term. Uh, it could be a bit of a shock to the system if you haven't worked under him before, because uh, you can tell how demanding he is. You can tell how, much of a process oriented guy he is and how much he wants, you know, to be able to follow that. And how I talked, you know, I talked about it earlier in the show. I think I think Lance Leipold really runs KU football as if he is kind of the CEO. And he wants to have guys underneath him that uh, understand what the process is, understand how that they want to go about executing that, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, hiring in guys from outside like Jeff Grimes and DK McDonald earlier in the off season, and in fact hiring Jeff Grimes even before you, know, you go back even before the bowl game, that's fine because you have some time. You have months of which those guys can get acclimated to however you want to have things facilitated if you're Lance Leipold and what the expectation is. Uh, but this late in the process, when you don't really have the time to possibly bring in somebody and integrate them into how you want to do things, I think it makes a lot of sense that you would bring in somebody that, A, had success – Seemingly had success with you when he was previously worked under you, and B has had success, you know, outside of working with you as well. When he went to Northern Illinois, he had success there. Obviously, went on to win a MAC championship. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense to go after a guy that understands what Lance Leipold is probably going to be looking for, and understands what uh, what the expectations are and how he wants things to go. So, I think that makes uh, that that really makes a ton of sense to bring in a guy like this who has experience with that and can step in right away. And sure, it's at a higher level at the power five level. But given Lance Leipold and how process oriented he is, I'm guessing a lot of the things that Lance Leipold wants to do are similar enough to where you can integrate in something like somebody like this who has experience and understands what Leipold wants ahead of time. So, I I think. uh, it makes a lot of sense. You look at 2023 for for uh, for Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois actually gave up just as many sacks as Kansas did in 2023, 16 sacks in 13 games, and Northern Illinois also went on to win in the uh, Camellia Bowl also uh, this past season. So again, you are getting an individual who has again understands what it, understands what you want, having worked under you previously, and knows probably what your system what you want your system to look like internally knows kind of what your expectations are, what you are sort of anticipating to happen as, as you come in. But you're also getting somebody who has shown to have experience and success outside of working underneath you, which I also think is a, I I also, I also think that's a big factor. I think that's probably an underrated factor truly is having success also outside of working with Lance Leipold. Uh, you know, I think that indicates that not only is Agpalsa a guy who can work well with Lance Leipold and understands his process, but somebody who was able to go outside of Lance Leipold and still have success. Right? I think that's a, I think that's also something to, to to keep in mind here. So, overall, when you look at what KU has done in the off with their coaching staff and with the changes they've had to make, I think you feel pretty good about the hires they've made. Jeff Grimes was, uh, you know. At one point, an offensive coordinator that had also a top five offense in rushing at Baylor in 2021 had a lot of success at BYU as well, and he comes in wanting to do a lot of similar stuff, somewhat similar stuff to what Andy Koolnicki was maybe doing already with Kansas. You look at DK McDonald to replace Jordan Peterson. That was obviously going to be a tough, a tough individual to replace, regardless. who you went out and got, but you go out and you get a guy who has NFL experience, which I think is, I think. That is big in the sense of you've got guys in your secondary that are aspiring to go to the NFL. And by bringing in somebody who has experience coaching at the NFL level, that probably is going to be a big positive in terms of connecting with those players and saying, hey, listen, we got a guy on staff here. He knows what it takes. You, you want to make it to the NFL? This guy knows what it takes. So I think that, that makes it a, a good hire. And it's somebody who is familiar with the Big 12 from, Iowa, from previously working at Iowa State before going to the, to the Eagles. Uh, It seems like a pretty good hire, and then this hire as well, I think, is great for kind of the reasons that I outlined. Because, or it seems like it's a quality hire from just immediate reaction because of the fact that it was it's late in the process in terms of trying to find a candidate. Spring ball is about to start, and you have gone out and found and brought an individual that previously worked for you, so understands what you want. And has also gone outside of working for you and still found success, which I think is again I, th- I think that maybe be the most maybe the most important thing here as well so and on top of all that, uh, I kind of mentioned it you know leading into this segment, when you're in a situation like this where coaches maybe already have contracts signed for the next season, whatever, and you're Kansas and you need to possibly buy out. It's a lot cheaper to buy out somebody from a group of five school than if you were looking to go somewhere else. So I think it, I, I think Kansas institutionally probably likes this hire as well because of the fact that you were able to probably afford it. I would think, and I know it was reported. I think you know Kansas did get some kickback from the from the Titans for uh, for the Titans having to buy out Scott Fuchs's contract. So there was, I think, I don't, I doubt money was an issue really for Kansas. But uh, yeah, I think on top of that, that makes this a, a pretty good hire as well. So. We'll see how things pan out uh, I think it is a, a good move I remember last season in the spring I believe uh, KU gave the opportunity to kind of for the media to speak with a lot of the position coaches individually so uh I'm hoping that'll be the same this this upcoming spring we'll get a chance to hear uh personally from that Ag- Paulson kind of how everything went down and and you know how what his comfort level is coming in uh to 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 take over the offensive line for Kansas because listen I like I said this is this is not going to be an easy job, right? This is not going to be, you know, coming into with an offensive line that's bringing back all of its best players and 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 it, you know it might be a little bit easier. This is an offensive line that is, is going to be need to be worked up a little bit. You've got again, you're going to have a retro freshman more than likely potentially starting on the outside with Calvin Clements. You have a transfer center coming in. Uh, you you lose Dominic Pooney and you have Bryce Kibbledo on the outside. You lose Mike Nowitzki as well. You've got some question marks or some decisions to be made on the interior, right? With your guard play, with guys like Kobe Baines, uh, uh, you know, and and then you have like someone like Logan Brown as well. So there are some questions certainly to be had and answered uh, on the offensive line. So you know, this is this is not an easy job to step into. I don't think at this time. So we'll see how it's handled for Kansas as they uh, as they have quickly found their new offensive line coach. And again, I you want to move quickly on this. I think you have to if you're Kansas because of the fact that you've got spring ball potentially starting up here pretty quickly. So, Agpulsa, Daryl said, the new offensive line coach for Kansas, comes from Northern Illinois. And again, previously under Lance Leipold at uh, Buffalo and also way back at Wisconsin Whitewater as well. Where uh, with Lance Leipold and Agpulsa was on the staff of, of Wisconsin Whitewater when they won the national championship in 2013 and 2014, and led the uh, conference in scoring offense, rushing offense, and passing offense. (laughs) So, led him in everything. Every offensive stat you could lead him in. So, uh, I think the resume's certainly there. I think the connection's certainly there with having previously worked with Lance Leipold. And I think the success outside of Lance Leipold at Northern Illinois also is a big boon as well. And we'll see how things shake out there. As I said, spring ball, probably just around the corner here. We're probably coming up in a couple weeks here as we get ready for... uh, spring bowl and of course we'll, we'll have all that coverage for you here as, as well on rock jock sports talk uh we'll take a time out right now here on rcst when we come back i do want to get a little bit into some of this college football playoff expansion talk coming up on the other side here on rock jock sports talk we'll take a time out you're listening to rcst on fm 1017 and 1320 klwn Depend on it. Well, that's it here on the podcast side here on the Best of CSD Podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. And, of course, if you do want to hear the full show, you can listen every day, 3 to 6, Monday through Friday, for Rock Chalk Sports Talk, your only daily KU-centric sports radio show that you'll find every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Be sure to leave us a 5-star rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Thanks so much for listening to the best of RCSC podcasts presented by Massage Envy. You can also find us on KUSports.com as well. Be sure to check out the live show every day from three to six on KLWN. Thanks for listening.